Okay, we're going to stop this now. So my name is Christian. I'm uh, founder and uh, CTO at Sumo Logic. Uh, I'm, I'm being joined on stage today, uh, you know, by Ben Newton, who is one of our principal product managers and my partner in crime. And uh, we will also have, and I'm especially happy about that, Ben Abrahams from Cloud Cruiser, who, as you will probably see at the end, uh, is probably the last hope for this galaxy. So what can you expect from this session? Quick agenda, it's pretty straightforward. I'm going to kick it off by talking a little bit about how we at Sumo look at the use of data to make modern applications more efficient. We help our customers to build, run, and secure their applications. And the applications, of course, are at the very core of the business. Ben is then going to talk about how we kind of strategically, more concretely look at using data and data analytics in order to make applications more efficient. And then finally, Ben Abrams will give us the practitioner's view, and that's going to be awesome, uh, and you definitely want to stick around for that. So, like probably a lot of you, we're all nerds in the end, I have been working with computers for some 30 years. This idea that I can use technology to get things done is something that is very natural to me, and it has never been a question for me that businesses use technology as well. And of course, businesses have been using technology for a long time. And yet, if you look around, a lot of businesses today are not even fully digital. So we are still as probably counterintuitive as this might seem, you know, to us practitioners and us folks who have been, you know, using technology for so long, we are still at the very beginning of this wave of digital transformation. The analysts say, this is one quote I really like, that by 2020, half the global 2000 will have to have figured out a way to build digitally enhanced products and services. By 2020, only half. Imagine what comes after that. So we are really just at the beginning of using technology. And software is at the center of it. Software processes data, and these applications that we are all building are powering the business. And this is just a start. And this is why I think it's so interesting, the space that we are in, you know, and, and sort of the larger space of everybody here at this company. What we have seen and what we, can, what we will continue to see is that these applications that we are building are being built differently. When I grew up, we would write a bunch of code, we would put it on a floppy disk, and that was it. You know, then when I actually got paid for this type of stuff, um, we had to build these three-tier applications, you know, in order to prove that we are actually real engineers, right? These days, if you go to something like, you know, like, of course, Keynote today, and I think it's going to be way worse tomorrow uh, in, in, in Werner's Keynote, the sheer torrent of new tools and new abstractions that are going to be unleashed will cause you whiplash. It does to me. It's like, I can't fucking keep up with this stuff anymore. <laughs> right? And so there is so much change being aggregated and being delivered by AWS, by other folks, by folks like you, on different levels of the stack in the abstraction. The applications are built completely differently, 
containers, serverless, Lambda. I don't know what comes after serverless. Applicationless? I don't know. <laughs> At the same time, the teams are also changing. I think Agile, in many ways, has sort of taken over how we think about building stuff. It's not just you know, dev and test coming together anymore, which was sort of the core of Agile, right? We now also have you know, the operations folks come in, and we call that DevOps, because we realize that you know, we don't just put it on a floppy and uh, you know, copy it and you know, give it to our friend anymore. These things that we are building, they need to be on 24-7. They need to be operated. And throwing it over the wall for some other poor guy to basically run is not working. And so people have figured out that you know, we're bringing in the, uh, you know, the, the, the operational folks and turning them into programmers and turning them as, into parts of the actual process and the delivery method is, uh, is a good thing. And we're now seeing this also happening with, with security. Rugged ops, DevOpsSec, DevSecOps, whatever. The, I think the term still has to be hashed out. But we now automate everything, and we can automate security as well. So those folks are now suddenly becoming part of our teams as well. Data scientists are analysts that know how to program. If you know how to program, you will be part of building technology in the future. If you don't know how to program, you better be a manager, <laughs> you know, or else. This is definitely changing. Agility and these new levels of abstraction that have been, you know, coming out faster and faster over these last couple of years that help us change how we build applications, build the social structures around how we build applications, lead to additional complexity. It used to be in some, you know, in some like faraway age that we could take the architecture of our system and put it on paper, a couple of boxes and a couple of arrows. Our code looked like spaghetti, but our application was really clean. Our application architecture was really clean, especially if I architected it. <laughs> Today, our applications look like spaghetti. Our application architectures look like spaghetti. We have probably learned how to build code that's more modular and all these kinds of things. But building microservices, wiring them up, integrating them with services that are being developed by somebody else, foundational service, SQL database, no SQL database, you know, you know <laughs> double half-calf databases. Integrations everything sending to PagerDuty, everything sending to Slack. Now we have conversational agents. If you look even at the Sumo architecture, the architecture of the Sumo system, 40-plus microservices, I don't know how many data backends, thousands of machines, this shit is really complicated. And so sometimes I think when I hear SaaS, it actually stands for spaghetti as a service. <laughs> I was really proud coming up with that one. Um, so our take on this, this is how the world looks like in our, world, in, in our mind. But we have to cope with it. And there lies the chance. You need to be able to see what's going on in order to be on top of it. You can't fix what you can't see. And it's your responsibility. You are the guys who are building these applications. These applications are complex. The social structures around them are complex. We can't really help you necessarily you know, with the social aspects of everything. But we can provide visibility. 
And visibility will make it so that you can actually deliver the responsibility that you have to your business, to your various stakeholders, because that business relies on your application and the underlying infrastructure to work, because otherwise you will not make money. And I have not seen a business yet that, doesn't, that can survive if it doesn't make money. This is the world, according to Sumo. We think that by using data, that by using the data that's coming out of the applications and out of the infrastructure, we can actually make it so that you can run your applications more efficiently. And this is really interesting because the applications are there to process data in the first place. And now we are using the data that comes out the other end in order to allow you via logs and metrics and other tools to actually understand this big ball of mud and deliver better service to your customers and to your business. And now Ben is going to talk about in more detail how we think about doing this in practice. Thank you, Christian. So when uh, Ben Abrams comes up a little later, you'll see I'm the speaker without the cool beard, just uh, for reference. Okay, so you know now that Christian really has uh, frightened you a little bit that you are in the center of that circle, now we need to talk a little bit about how you actually build a data analytics strategy to get ahead of that. So when we talk about this, I think the best lens that I've found to talk about thinking about data analytics is through use cases, because this is how the software actually gets used. So the one of the ways we talk about it is Sumo is we talk about building your application, running your application, and securing your application. Now, for the sake of time today, we're going to talk about the run part of that. So it really applies to, to everything, but we're going to focus on the operational stuff. So once you've decided you want to think about running your application, you can think about that in a couple of different ways. So really, there's some simple high-level use cases. So the first thing is, is that you're monitoring your application, as all of you know. You find something, and you tell somebody about it. Right? And now once, if there's a problem, then you're going to troubleshoot your application. So you're actually going to try to figure out what the problem is. You're going to find out where the problem is at. You're going to then uh, actually bring the system back up, which is what matters at the end of the day. And then you're actually going to resolve that later. You're going to do root cause analysis. Now what is often left out, and we found that a lot of our customers do this, they come and they talk to us about monitoring and troubleshooting. That's really where we've cut our teeth. What they often find is that that same data allows them to do what we call app intelligence. So the same logs and metrics and all this data that allows you to figure out if something's broken, it also tells you what your users are doing. And once you know what your users are doing, you can know how to make life better for users, and that's what really matters, because that's what the application is for. Now, once you know these kind of high-level use cases, you can start talking about all the people that are going to be knocking on your door about this data, and that's what really matters. So on the monitoring side, who cares about monitoring data? It's the people that get woken up at 2 a.m. with the pagers, right? So they care about the data. They want those, the data to be high quality, and they don't want to be woken up for an alert that doesn't make sense, right? So that's going to be your ops SRE team. That's going to be your engineering team. So for example, at uh, Sumo Logic, we have a combination. We have a SRE team that gets has on pagers, and also our developers are directly responsible for monitoring uh, their code. Now, that also helps them write better code because they don't want to be woken up at 2 a.m. So this has worked pretty well for us. Now, on the troubleshooting side, once you actually figure out there's a problem, now the people that have to explain to your angry users what the hell's going on, they're going to be involved. So that's going to be your support team, and they're really going to care about visibility because they want to know what's broken, when it's broke, what, and when it's going to be fixed, and when you're going to get it back up, right? Now, once you get on the app intelligence side, that's where you get all the other people that don't have to have pagers like me. So this is going to be, for example, the product managers. So, <laughs> yeah, he's going to give me a pager after this. 
So, uh, with, for example, with product managers, this is one of the best things that I've, I've found, like working at Sumo Logic, is like I had no idea what I could use data for as a product manager. So, for example, I can know when I release a new feature, who's using it, how are they using it, where are they using it, are they actually using it in the way that I thought they were going to use it, and maybe I can adjust how that was built. Now, that's also going to be connected to the marketing and sales team, because when I work with a marketing team to talk about a new feature that we just released, they want to know if the leads they're bringing in means that those customers are actually then going and using the feature, which is going to lead to sales for us, right? So it's all connected, and we can all use that same data. And one of the more interesting use cases I think we found at Sumo Logic is what we call our customer success team. So I think that there's a lot of different names for this, but these are the groups of people that actually work with our customers to get more value out of our application. So they, they, what they do is they actually use our data, and they build these reports, for example, that they can do a health check. And they'll run against all of our data, and they will go to the customer and say, look, we look, you're doing these five things. We think you could do these three things better. You should try this out. You couldn't do that without the data, right? So all these people are going to be knocking on your door asking for the data. Now, once you know that these people are going to be coming to you, what are some questions that you can ask? So when you start on the monitoring side, I think the knee-jerk, and I, I started out in operations side. You know, I did have a pager back in the day. And, uh, you know, what we would always monitor then is we had, we were monitoring, you know, CPU and memory, and there would be a big board with a bunch of red lights, and that was monitoring, right? So I think we've evolved past that. And one of the ways we've evolved past that, you still need to care about that stuff, but when you monitor, you want to monitor what's actually important to the business and to your users. So if you're just monitoring the state of your systems, how do you know if your users are actually getting value to the system? And that, at the end of the day, is the only thing that matters. So, for example, at Sumo Logic, as you would expect, what people use us for is to search for stuff, right? So they really care about how fast those searches are. So we have metrics around search performance. We monitor that, and when search performance goes down below a certain level, that is an outage for us. So that way, that's what really matters. So the systems could be humming along perfectly, but if their searches aren't running fast, something's wrong, we need to go fix it. And it's a very different lens to view the world. And what you can do is once you focus on those business-specific, user-specific type of monitoring uh, tasks, then you can have fewer of them. So you don't have to have the, the red hell of like all the different lights going off and you have no idea what's going on. You can focus on the stuff that's actually going to drive you towards solving problems that matter. Now, once you actually get to the troubleshooting side, it's, you know, it's back to that picture that Christian was showing. You can't actually fix, fix something if you can't measure it. So the way I usually think about it is you're monitoring data. It may be this big. Now, when you're troubleshooting, it's this big. Because when it's 2 a.m. and you're having to fix a problem, you do not want to find out that, oh, I can't figure out what's going on because I didn't collect that data yet. And you can't fix that when you're actually solving the problem. So it's more important to get very comprehensive and get more data in so that you can actually solve those problems and have right, the data right at hand. And one of the reasons why and you can see some of the stuff we've done recently at Sumo Logic is tying logs together with metrics is because what we found is that being able to tie the what is happening to where it happened to that actual record. So I'm saying CPU spiked, memory spiked, it looks like something crashed. I can actually tie that to a log that says a process crashed. There is, there's a stack trace here. Being able to tie that directly when you're solving problems, that's a difference between, you know, minutes in solving a problem and hours in solving a problem. So again, it's all about getting the right data. Now, once you move to the app intelligence side, the data changes a little bit, but it's really related to the same things. So again, here, you can't improve it if you can't measure it. So this is a, really important for me as a product manager because every time that I release a feature, I can't actually tell anyone if that feature is performing the way that it was supposed to if I can't actually uh, look at the data. 
So for example, one of the things that I've done as a product manager with my engineering team is I write requirements for metrics and logs into my feature requirements. So before anyone writes a line of code, we're talking about how we're actually going to monitor what we're building. And I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago, right? And, the, and this is something we've learned from our customers and they're doing this. So if you start that discussion early, you're not going to be trying to figure this out when something's broken. And so I'll bring it to the table and I want to look at what users are doing like this, this, and that. And the engineers come to the table and what, what can break like these five ways, let's monitor that. And together we actually have a much better picture. Now at the end of the day, what you're trying to build is a pretty picture like this, right? You want to get your everything together so that you can start doing those correlations and you can impress your boss with this like awesome dashboard, right? Well, to do that, you actually have to get the data in. So we've talked about what kind of data you need and, now let's, and how you can use that data. So let's talk a little bit more about the kind of data you would need. So I think these are, you know, categories that are going to make sense to you guys. You know, first with infrastructure, this is, you know, in some sense, the easy part. So, you know, every, you know, bit of uh, platform that you're running on, your Linux systems, Windows systems, your containers, whatever it is, they all produce data. Now, one of the questions that I get up from a lot of customers is, well, what granularity do I need? What matters? Well, it's back to how you're using the data. So if you're asking the difference, like, should I have CPU measurements every one second, every 10 seconds, every minute? Well, how are you using it when you're solving problems? If you care about a 30-second difference in solving a problem, well, you need to measure the metric at that level. If you, do, if you don't mind if you have a couple-minute delay, then maybe it doesn't matter. And the same thing with, like, delays in terms of is it real-time or not. You have to think about how you're going to use the data as you're thinking about how you're going to measure it. And you can make those adjustments over time. And it really just depends on how you use it. So we find a lot of customers that may do one particular metric every minute and something every 10 seconds. And it really depends on how valuable that is to you. Now, when you think about the platform, it's going to be a similar kind of discussion. Except, And, and re the reality is now at this point, everything produces data. So when I started out in this, you might have to go and jump through a bunch of hoops to produce data. I mean, at this point... Producing the data is not the problem. It's actually, you know, uh, filtering it down. So everything that you have produces data. So it's really more a matter of making sure you cover all the components. Again, you don't want to wake up at 2 a.m. like, oh, shit, I didn't actually put that in there. So you need to make sure you have all that coverage. Now, one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is once you've got those detailed logs, you've got the stack traces, all those kind of things, are you thinking about the metadata? Now, I think this is a problem that's become worse recently. So one of the things that Christian was talking about is, you know, those new architectures. So, you know, Christian and I started out in the same kind of era where it was nice three-tier architectures, app, web, DB. You could actually draw the thing on a piece of paper, and it made sense. That just isn't the case anymore. You, you look at the uh, architecture diagrams that we draw at Sumo, and they, they do look like spaghetti. And it's because of all these small components. So the way that you actually make sense of that is with your metadata. So your application is not built according to, say, AWS specifications or anybody else. So you have to actually stamp your architecture with metadata. So for example, with Sumo Logic, we have hosts and we have clusters and we have deployments and we have pods. Well, how do we actually put down the data? We use metadata. So we use tags and we actually use that to allow us to slice and dice the data. So now the people that are actually supporting the application can go in and say, well, is it this pod problem versus this pod? Is it this cluster versus that cluster? The only way you can do that is with the metadata. And once you think about, I think where the most interesting stuff is, is the custom work. This is the code you wrote yourself. So you are the only people that can actually figure out how to monitor that. No one can tell you how to do that. So one of the things you need to think about is, again, with the metadata. So, for example, with us, we have customers and users and session IDs and all these things that are important to us. So we stamp that on the data. So when you use that metadata like that, now we can say, 
is this pod having a problem or is this customer having a problem? We can do that at the same time with the metadata. And again, thinking about what frustrates your users, because at this point, this is where you write those in. So for, again, our engineers will write lines of code to emit specific metrics to actually be able to tell them what's going on. Now, once you do that, you're going to get this, you know, this full breath. And that's a very, like, you know, fast overview of that. And Ben's going to talk a little bit more about how he pulled this in. Now, how do you actually get that data and collect it? So at a very high level, Ben's going to tell you how he did this specifically and how you can automate it. There's two, like, really big, like, high-level uh, ways of pulling that data in the context of what we're talking here. One is with Amazon. So one of the fantastic things about being on Amazon is how easy it is to collect data about your Amazon services. So literally, you put in a username and password, click a couple buttons, and voila, you've got all the data in, right? So it's very, very easy to pull that data in. Now, on your EC2 systems, you can set up a collector, and again, you can pull that data locally. So for example, one of the things that Ben's going to tell you about is how we pull in system metrics, and you can start pulling in those custom metrics, and you can funnel all those up, those get you know packaged together, and then sent off to the cloud. So by pulling all those together, that's how you're going to get that complete picture. And honestly, in no time in my professional life has it ever been this easy. So it's really easy to pull that data in and start classifying it. Now, just before we go on to uh, Ben's section, we're telling you about how he did this with uh, Cloud Cruiser, a couple of things to you know kind of leave you with to think about and kind of pull this all together. So again, I can't emphasize enough that when you're monitoring, you monitor what matters to the end users. It's very, very easy to monitor CPU, memory, and disk. While those are important, monitor what matters to your end users. And that means you have to be collaborative with the people actually writing the code. And when you actually start monitoring this stuff, one of the things we've learned from our customers is how you can then tie your data back to the way you solve those problems. So, for example, what a lot of our customers have done is, and what we do is that we tie our playbooks to the actual how you actually search for the data. So, for example, our playbooks will say something like, Okay, you see this problem, we'll go search for this, search for this, and then if you see this, go do this, or go look for this log. So, for example, you know, if you see these problems with system performance, then go look for this log and see if this happened. And by doing that, you can express it all based on your data instead of actually trying to describe in, you know, English what, what people are supposed to do. And then once you get to the app intelligence thing, again, the metadata is, is absolutely essential. And I can't emphasize that enough. That's, that's one thing we've learned from experience is that by adding that metadata in, then you can pull that user data out and really get a good idea of what's going on. So with that, I'm going to uh, bring up the other guy with a fantastic beard. So Ben Abrams, and he works at uh, Cloud Cruiser, and he's going to tell us a little bit about how he did this at uh, Cloud Cruiser. Hey, thanks, Ben. So I guess a little bit about uh, Cloud Cruiser. Um, we help users uh, basically monitor their cloud spend on AWS, Google, and Azure. Um, basically just bringing visibility back into um, you know what they're what's important and that's cost right you know we all need to make money so we all need to be able to track that so uh, a little bit about me uh, basically I don't like the title lead DevOps engineer DevOps is not a department it's not a role um, it's a culture. Um, so I prefer Supreme Unicorn Hunter of the planet Earth and the entire galaxy besides. I think it's more descriptive of what I do. Um, basically, we help take everything from soup to nuts, uh, from concept development uh, locally on a workstation to um, serving very large customers. Um, our tech stack, is, I've kind of split it up into two different uh, components. Uh, there's application, um, 
If we're mostly a microservices uh, Java shop, um, AngularJS, Elasticsearch, DynamoDB, ElastiCache, all that fun stuff. Um, on the infrastructure side, we're uh, currently all in AWS. Um, we use Shep, Terraform, Packer, Ruby, Console, Elasticsearch, Jenkins, Sensu, all the fun stuff, right? So here's kind of a, you know, as a, you know, the previous guys have alluded to, obviously this is a very boiled down architectural diagram. I'm not gonna show you how all of these microservices interact with each other because that would be very difficult <laughs> um, and would be boring for you guys since you have no context. So uh, just kind of showing the different services that we are using. Um, why did we come to Sumo Logic, right? So we came here because we were having issues with our Elk stack and I was too busy to worry about elk and logging because I needed to be focused on the things that mattered to us and that was our application. So I decided, hey, you know what, let's go see what are our options out there. So we did a best of breed with a couple of different uh, vendors and basically decided that um, Sumo Logic was the best fit for us. Um, it allowed us to um, increase some of our security uh, in, in a couple of areas, for example, uh, we're kind of unique in the sense that uh, even people like sales engineers and stuff like that actually need access to logs because they need to help customers out. So instead of having to give VPN access to a QA environment or a prod environment, et cetera, with limited, um, it was just easier to kind of move that out. Um, scale and cost was really nice. Um, it's relatively cheap compared to the other vendors I priced it against. So. And really the metrics part is that, you know, we were a happy log customer and said, well, you know what? We have this graphite stack that we kind of are not terribly happy with and we kind of want to replace it with something. So um, when I mentioned this to Ben, um, you know, kind of just was like, well, let's try this out. Work as an early design partner. So um, metrics are definitely a newer uh, portion of that family, but um, it's it's getting there. So um, we got, redu you know, basically by um, doing all these things, we were able to reduce our operational burden. Um, we're a very small team, very small company, um, and we want to focus on the things that matter, which is the application. Um, so um, one of the things that we did is that we used, uh, we pulled it, we put in a lot of these custom metrics and pulled them into um, our own systems at Cloud Cruiser. Uh, to help us go through an effort of cost reduction. Um, we were able to reduce our monthly AWS bill by about 100%. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Um, all right, so let's talk about rollout. Um, what are we doing, right? So, we're, you know, as I said before, we're a chef shop. Um, so that's what I'm going to show you how to automate the configuration and installation. Um, and talk about you know how do we configure these specific things like application graphite metrics, um, and how to, how we could theoretically forward other metrics that you know may not be easily accessible by Sumo. So let's talk about naming conventions because that's always kind of an important thing um, when you're trying to talk about data. You need to structure it in some way. Um, so we came up with two different naming conventions. Some of this is probably an artifact of. We weren't quite sure where some of the metric stuff was going at the time, so we made a conscious choice to always split metrics out into its own. Um, 
namespace, but um, basically, uh, you know, this is not going to work for everyone. If you're in a containerized environment, your architecture could obviously be very different, and this may not make sense to you. This worked well for us, basically talking about, you know, every time I want to search for something, I want to know what environment is it, what type of log is it, what server role did it come from, right? So, you know, did it come from my Elasticsearch app nodes? Did it come from my Elasticsearch data nodes, et cetera? Uh, just being able to kind of um, bring that together. Um, on the metric source, it's a little bit more interesting because there, you know, as I said before, there's, there's going to be some metric forwarding um, relay, whatever you want to call it. Um, so let's talk about actually deploying with Chef. So um, it's really simple. They have a fairly good Chef cookbook. Um, and uh, to me, it's, it's a really simple install. There's download a file, install file, start collector. <laughs> uh, can't really get any simpler than that. Now, there's a little bit more to it than that. Obviously, you need to give it an access key and stuff like that. So um, ideally, you should be using something like uh, HashiCorp Vault. But in this particular example, I'm just going to show you how to using uh, encrypted data bags. So um, basically, you know, for this, we're going to pretty much just uh, use a couple of templates uh, to plop down some uh, configuration. Um, all right, so we have our base install now, right? So we want to configure something and do something interesting, right? So um, here's just an example of um, using the lightweight resource provider that the cookbook gives you to uh, define a uh, log type file and um, specifying some stuff like, hey, I want to include like, I want to exclude like DHCP messages because I really don't care that Amazon is telling me that you know my lease is up. That's not interesting to me. Um, so you know, uh, here's just a really simple example of that. Uh, here's an example of uh, using the same thing for the um, microservices. Um, over here, we've got some uh, metric stuff. Now, um, the host metrics, you do not need to do this anymore. Uh, this got merged as of like last week, so you don't need to roll your own template for it. You can use a lightweight resource provider. Um, but basically, I mean, it's pretty simple. You're just defining, you know, what's the name of your thing? How are you, you know, what's the metadata about it that you care about? You know, host name or whatnot. You may want, you may not want to have something like local host. You may want to have something meaningful, um, something that you can actually identify it back, et cetera. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, for us, because most of our application metrics are all coming from uh, Drop Wizard. Uh, they're all graphite metrics. So let's just take a look. Um, it's, again, really simple. All you got to do is define uh, the protocol, the port, the host, and kind of you know some metadata that you care about. So that's all really cool. Now we've got stuff, right? We've got stuff into it. Now let's talk about searching, right? Um, so here is a particular example of how I can kind of see what, you know, is going on here by a particular um, uh, microservice um, and kind of just showing you, like, how often is it happening and what different time frames, et cetera. Um, I apologize if you can't read all of that. Um, I tried to make the query large enough, but 
So, um, and you can do, uh, you know, fun stuff like aggregating. So, you know, and, and you can use this to kind of feed alerting and monitoring so that, you know, maybe you might, for example, um, let's say you might want to create a alert that basically says if debug, you know, if for this particular service, if, you know, I see a thousand debug messages or, you know, whatever the appropriate number is, I can say, oh, someone let debug on. We want to turn that off so it doesn't fill up disk space. So that could be a, a you know, very simple use case just looking at this. I thought of that 10 minutes ago. So, um, yeah, so, you know, again, here's just more. Uh, this is looking at uh, our, you know, our logs and saying, okay, kind of like what Ben was talking about earlier where he was saying, hey, you know, what is the thing that matters, right? Well, it's the customer search time. Right. Well, this is our way of looking through our logs to determine, hey, are we seeing certain tenants timing out? Right. Is it across the board? Is it specific tenants? Um, and then that can help us understand, hey, do we have a vertical scale issue with a particular tenant? Is, you know, is there some sort of, you know, educational thing that we need to do to, you know, let them know, like, hey, um, you know, you need to filter your reports down a little bit more, you know, whatever that might be. Um, but this is, this is kind of, you know, the thing that you can do there to kind of bring all that data together and, you know, provide action on that. Um, again, just trying to show you more examples of stuff. Um, so let's talk about metrics, because metrics are really cool. I love metrics. Um, I'm probably more interested in metrics than logs, because... Logs means there's something that's gone wrong. Metrics means usually a little bit more interesting problems. So um, there's a couple of different type of metrics, obviously. Um, so Sumo, by default, gives you what they call host metrics. They're basically system metrics. Um, so here's just a really simple graph showing you how you could like look at you know memory-free and stuff like that. Um, JVM stuff, this is coming from a graphite source. Uh, through Drop Wizard. Um, this one's kind of an interesting one because um, this is kind of talking about a little bit um, how I mentioned before. You may not be able to so easily always get your metrics in um, to Sumo Logic in a native way. And so, for example, we use uh, Sensu to uh, run metrics checks and then we publish and forward those uh, to Sumo Logic. So um, this is just an example of showing you that you can pull stuff in even when it's a little uh, unique. So dashboards are really cool, right? We're all used to seeing, you know, monitors and monitors across the wall, just all the pretty shit, right? Um, and uh, while that's nice, it, it's really important to not just build dashboards for the sake of dashboards, right? You've got to build dashboards that are actually relevant, right? They mean something. Um, and so basically, you know, these are the three things that I always say a dashboard needs to be, right? A dashboard needs to always have relevant data, giving you a bird's eye overview. If it does not cut troubleshooting time, then delete the dashboard. Um, and you should build service-specific dashboards, right? So if you have 40 microservices, you should be having at least 40 dashboards. And each of these dashboards should include things 
that rely on other services that are related to it, right? So if a particular service relies on, an, you know, the off service or something like that, it's important to have those kinds of uh, data pulled together in one place because it's very rare that you're troubleshooting a single place in a microservice architecture, right? Um, it's important to know that, hey, off is having an issue even though I'm seeing the error in this other service. So um, this is kind of an example dashboard. It's real, yes. Um, you can see ProdWest. Um, and this is showing a couple of different things. So this particular service relies very heavily on Elasticsearch. So I wanted to make sure that, hey, okay, you know, show me the host metrics of, you know, this particular service. But I also need to see some things about Elasticsearch because it relies so heavily on it. Rather than seeing just errors in, you know, the, this one service's logs, that's not really helpful if I realize that, hey, Elasticsearch is the one that's having an issue, right? So being able to kind of bring that data together from these disparate silos and bringing them all together um, is actually really cool. Um, and so it's greatly cut down our troubleshooting time um, since we've started doing this. You know, yes, it does take you know a significant amount of time to build the right dashboards. Building dashboards are not hard. Building the right dashboards are hard. <laughs> um, so you know that's uh, kind of what I've got there. Um, ben, did you want to take it over for Q and A or? Thank you, Ben. Yep. So, uh, you know, and again, you know, you're not going to believe Christian and I. Um, hearing Ben Abrams talk about how he actually did this, I think he, he's done a great job, and, you know, particularly showing how you could use the, the metadata to do some of those things. So with, with that, um, what we've done, we've left a, a little time at the end to take any questions if there's any, any time. So, you know, Christian, you can come on up if you want. And, uh, yeah, if anybody has any questions or anything they want to bring up.